uh, a special um, uh, opportunity this morning to, we, so we support Harvestville Corners. Harvestville Corners was started by Jerry um, out of our church and uh, goes to Pakistan now in Haiti and we're, we're uh, working on getting that in, um, in India. We're just trying to get some paperwork finalized. It's only been taking us a couple of years. But uh, so Jerry's got a banquet coming up August 20, um, October 22nd that is about Harvestville Corners, great banquet every year, and I wanted them to come up and uh, talk to you just a little bit about that this morning and kind of let you know what's happening with that, Jerry. And again, for this service, we should just give him a round of applause. Thank you, Pastor. Well, my name is Jerry Tuttles, and uh, Lou Ann and I are charter members of the church at Briargate. Uh, uh, we were involved in uh, on the board at, when this this facility was purchased and this uh, property. Uh, I thought there'd be a new building here by now, but uh, that's still in progress, and I believe that will happen. Uh, as Pastor said, we are the founders of Harvest Field Corners, and I want to thank Pastor for this time to personally invite you to our annual dinner and ministry update. And we thank the church for strongly supporting Harvest Field Corners. Uh, you know, there's a card laying on the table uh, back there that uh, it, it invites you to our dinner at the Pinery on October the 22nd. It's just three weeks from tomorrow night. In the past, the Pinery has served us with a tasty buffet. The buffet line will open no later than 6.15, and the dismissal of the evening should occur before 8.30. Uh, a local business person reimburses Harvest Field Corners for the cost of this event. None of your contributions pay for this event. Uh, there are quite a few local businesses that support the ministry of Harvest Field Corners. We want your contributions to go to foreign lands. Uh, Harvest Field Corners does not have a domestic payroll. We try very hard to keep our expenses low. In recent years, our primary endeavors occur in the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. And there we want to share with you some of the things that are happening. There's there's happening in Pakistan. This has been this has been a great year for what has happened there. We want to give you a recap about Ramper Heart and what is happening there. Nur and I returned from Ramper Heart on May the 1st of this year, and uh, Dr. Scott and Dr. Nur are going back to India this year. Uh, there's just been a great breakthrough year. We want to, to talk to you, give you an introduction to a form of evangelism that is called bridges, and uh, the uh, it's uh, 
it's something that uh, is being used in, in uh, Islamic nations right now. The Assemblies of God World Missions has given Harvest Field Corners a mission account number. These are, these are not easily obtained. We will have a silent auction, and this year there is a large, varied selection. Some of the silent auction bidders are going to get some unique bargains. Teenagers, we welcome you. We hope everyone leaves this event with a broader and wiser understanding of world missions. In sitting here this morning, if uh, the deaf ministry is interested, why we would we would set aside a section there for that? I I uh, I do not know that you'll have to to uh, we're we're willing if you are. Uh, we welcome you, but we need an RSVP to be sure that we have enough food to prepared. You can register at hfci.org. That stands for Harvest Field Corners International, hfci.org. If you do not want to register online, just confirm to Luann or myself with your name and contact information, and we will, we will see that you're registered. We will not be putting pressure on anyone to contribute. We just exhort you to do what the Holy Spirit instructs you to do. The Holy Spirit is impressing me to share some life experiences I have never publicly shared. I am struggling with this, but in this season of my life, I strive to fully obey what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. If you are struggling with health, financial, family issues, or any of life dis difficult challenges, I, I encourage you to come. You do not need to bring a dollar. Whether you come or not, we request you to pray for the Tuttles and Harvest Field Corners. Prayer is our greatest need. Pastor, thanks for this opportunity, and we hope to see you at this special event. Thank you, Jerry. And, and uh, if you want to um, contribute something to that, like for the silent auction or something like that, uh, I know that they would they would be open to that. I know they've got a lot of stuff, but if you've got a if you've got a, a used house sitting around or something that uh, you're not using, you could you could donate that. Um, if you've got like a Corvette or something you want to donate, run that through the church. We'll make sure that they that they get receipt for that. So um, I did want to talk about. We, I, I feel like we've talked about politics last week and now again this week, but I did. I'm going to uh, mention this. I, I want us to pray for the Kavanaugh family that has been um, put before the, the uh, Senate committee for uh, nomination to the Supreme Court, Judge Kavanaugh. This is, um, this is one of those moments that, that, to me as an American, is disgusting. This is, this is horrible what they have done to that guy, to that family. 
And, uh, and, the, and the sad thing is, is everybody sitting on that committee, everybody that's brought all this up knows all this stuff is a joke. It's, it's a lie. They know it's not true. But, but we do this. Now, here's something that, that I want to throw out here because this is the part we don't process. We literally think this is a Democrat-Republican thing, and it's not. There's a much bigger thing that's going on. There's a, uh, a spiritual thing. There's a, there's a, uh, a, a conflict spiritually here in our country. It's been happening for a long time. Kavanaugh's mean nothing to the Democrats. They, they mean nothing. This is, a, this is a crossroads between this is what we're going to do and this is what our country is built upon and we're going to push against this. Kavanaugh's a moral man. Um, he, he is a, uh, a man that believes in, in, in the constitutionality. The job of the Supreme Court is about the Constitution. It's not about making laws and stuff. But we've been doing this for a long time where, the, where we've allowed the Supreme Court to make laws. That's not actually legal, and it's not actually written in the Constitution, which is why some groups want to change the Constitution. Our, our country is built upon uh, godly values and godly morals. Even if all the people that did it weren't Christians, it was still built upon this. And so this is a guy that believes in the rule of law and believes in moral values. In fact, all of this stupidity that's attacking him, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> he actually admitted, and he was kind of embarrassed, I guess, because of social mores, but the, that he was, a, uh, he was a virgin all through high school and into college, you know, supposedly while he was gang raping people. And uh, this, this horrible stuff that's happening is not about Kavanaugh. It's about our country, that there's a group in our country that wants to push and the biggest agenda here is abortion. You understand that he is, this is all about abortion. It's not about Kavanaugh. This is about abortion, and it's about um, sexual preference and the rights of people that desire to be something else. Um, I choose to be this gender. I choose to be this. I choose to, that, I saw online the other day that there were 37 different categories now that you can choose to be sexually. Back in my day, there was only two. But this is the reality, is God made human beings. He made them male and female from, from the womb, from conception. And there is an attack against this. There is a moral value that says we're not just going to have, that, that, that sex is not just uh, something that we just do, but it should be done in the confines of marriage. That it's between a man and a woman only. All these different things, that abortion is murdering babies, and we're not going to be a part of that. That, the, that all of the LGBT stuff that's being pushed into society, that's what this is about. This is not about Kavanaugh. Okay? Now, interestingly, here's the, here's the interesting part. And this shows you, and this is important, specifically younger teenagers, younger people pay attention to this because society says it doesn't matter today. Sex doesn't matter. You can do what it's just, a, it's just hooking up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. But here's the reality is when the side that, that literally is fighting for the right to murder babies, an entire party's foundation is built upon we want to murder babies and we do not want anybody to say you cannot. Okay? You can call it something else, but that's what it is. When an entire platform is built around whatever sexual desire that you have, whether it be homosexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, or whatever, you say, well, that's not all included. It's, it's on the horizon. Okay? When that is the foundation of it, it's interesting to me that the way they attack the guy that's going to stand up for morality and has proven over his life that he is a man of good moral character, the way they attack him is by the sexuality stuff. Isn't that ironic? Because in their camp, it's not bad. It's not wrong. But here's the reality for everybody. Listen to this. 
This proves that in the heart of every individual, we still know what's right and wrong, regardless of what we say out of our mouth. We still know. God still has put a conscience within us that we know what is right and wrong. God has designed us to know what is morally right and wrong. But we fight against it. We push against it. Now we got a man that is going to stand for this, and they're fighting against him. And they don't care if they destroy his life. They literally don't care if they destroy his life because you will not tell us we cannot murder babies. You cannot tell us that. You cannot tell us that we, that we have to live some kind of moral lifestyle and that there is right or wrong. You do not have the right to tell us that. And we're not going to let a guy sit on the most powerful place in the United States and tell us those things. Interestingly now, the Supreme Court has more power than the president. It's not designed that way. It's not supposed to be that way. But they can make laws. They're not supposed to make laws. That's not their job. It's written in the Constitution. But they have been for a long time now. And this will swing that court back to a conservative, morally conservative, constitutional mentality. And there is a spirit, a, a demonic spirit that rises up that says you will not do that. And we will fight against you with everything. And Satan will use people to do that. And that's, how he, that's how people get involved in this is he will use people to fight when when morality and God's code and God's law will be brought back to the table. That's, that's what's actually going on with this. I'd like to pray for Kavanaugh and, and his kids and his wife and the, the goofiness that's going on with this. Let's pray. God, we lift Judge Kavanaugh to you. Lord, I, I pray. I pray against the demonic forces that are trying to destroy, first, our country, and, our, and our, he's just a pawn in the mix. God, they're just trying to destroy him because he's in the way. Lord, you are bigger. You are bigger than this in the name of Jesus. And God, I used to think our country was bigger than this. But God, we need you back in our country. We need you back in, our, in Washington. God, I'm disgusted by Washington right now. But God, you are still God. You are in charge. So cover this family. Cover them with your spirit. Let these little kids grow up recognizing who their dad really is and not who Washington says he is. We pray against this stuff. God, I pray against the evil and the perversion and the immorality that is running rampant through our Senate. God, the thirst for blood, baby's blood that is running rampant through our Senate right now. God, I curse it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And God, we ask you to have grace and mercy on us as a country. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are having <clears throat> baptism coming up, and I wanted to mention, so we're doing it down at the Y. The reason we're doing it down at the Y is because we've tried different ways around here, and it has not been successful. Uh, we've, I mean, it's not been horrible, but it just hasn't worked the way we wanted to. And so we thought it'd be funner to go down to the Y and get in the pool and, and uh, swim some laps. I don't know what we may do. We may have them swim underwater the full length of the pool during the baptism. I, don't, we, I mean, you need to make some rules about this kind of stuff. But uh, we, we, uh, we're going to go down there and do that. But we want everybody here, we want to really encourage you to be there. And part of this is because we're a family, we're a body of Christ. We're the kingdom of God, we're a family uh, together. And we want to we celebrate and acknowledge the uh, spiritual journey of those that are, that are, that are getting baptized. And, uh, and so we want to be a part of that. We're going to show you a video this morning. We're also going to show you one after the event where we include... Uh, the same thing this morning, but, but also their baptism in this. And so we've got those that are being baptized telling you a little bit about them. Go ahead.
I want to be baptized because God saved my life two times and he came into my heart and cleansed it. I really want to get baptized in the Holy Spirit and water and just get renewed in faith and the church and just to be a leader in Christ and to know him more. I feel like when I got baptized at such a young age, I didn't quite understand everything that Christianity was. Like, I thought it was just like this easy path you took and everything was laid out for you. But then as I got older, I realized that, you know, there are struggles. Even if you are a Christian, you're going to hit hard times. So that's why I want to get baptized again to rededicate my life. I, I teach on baptism uh, sometimes on Wednesday night, and then I also do that um, regularly throughout the journey, which is a, a discipleship class at, at uh, my house. The I don't I, I was trying to think of the last time I spoke about baptism in the in the Sunday morning service, and it's been a it's been a very long time. So let me just throw a couple of things out here. I, I get the question every now and then: What if I grew up Catholic or I grew up Lutheran? I got baptized as an infant, as a baby, because we don't baptize babies. We believe that Scripture says that uh, you um, that you get baptized because you have accepted Jesus. You make the decision to get baptized, and since you're the only one that can. Uh, except Jesus for you, then you're the one who chooses when and how and whatever you get baptized. And uh, so some people come ask me, you know, can I get baptized, you know, again? It like the, you only get one tick on the card and Lutheran background did that away or whatever. And here's what I've told a lot of different people, because I understood this even as a kid growing up. I got baptized as a, as a 12-year-old, but I didn't serve God for a long time after that. Um, I, I didn't serve God as I became a teenager, went to the Navy. To us. I, didn't, I didn't serve God. Um, and I understand what it is to, as an adult, say, Lord, I want you to be in charge of my life, even if you were a Christian as a kid, uh, to give yourself to Jesus as an adult and get baptized again. That's a very legitimate thing to do. People have asked me that. We, we strongly believe that around here. You, you, now, you know, after three or four baptisms, we also maybe want to do a little bit of talking about spiritual consistency and stuff like that. But, but we believe strongly in, hey, if you, you know, you're baptized as a younger and you want to get baptized again, we, we really want to support that because baptism is saying to those around you, Jesus is in charge of me. My life belongs to him, which is also why we want you to invite friends and family because it's an evangelistic opportunity for people to know, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ and this is, this is what I'm doing to publicly uh, display that. So, so if you have any questions about baptism, you have any, you have any just thoughts or process or, that you want to talk about, come let me know. Uh, come talk to me. I'll, I'll try to tell you the best that I can about the way we perceive this. And also how if you got baptized as a child, like Lutheran or Catholic, and you want to get baptized as an adult, I can, ex I can show you how to explain that to your family. We don't, wanna, we don't want you to offend your family that baptized you when you were a baby. There, there's, a, there's a good way to scripturally approach that, and so we can help you out with that too. So, All right, Exodus chapter 33. We've been talking about over the last few weeks the gift of the Holy Spirit in our, in our body as a, as a group together, our corporate services. How do the gifts operate? How do they work? What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be desiring the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, all of this is because we're pursuing God and we're trying to reach people. We're loving God and we're loving people. And in the journey of that, in the process of that, that God gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit to help us along. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, as I mentioned last week, there is, there is the foundation that, that love that all this should be built upon love. 
that, that we're not wanting to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit just because, but because we love God and because we love other people. We're trying to serve other people. We're trying to help other people. We're trying to lift other people up and help them in their walk with the Lord, just like hopefully they're doing the same for us. And as we're doing that, as we love God with everything about us, we love our, our neighbors, ourselves, we truly care about their soul, their spiritual walk, their family, their marriage, all this kind of stuff, that we're being used by the Holy Spirit either corporately in the gifts or uh, individually just hanging out, being f- good Christian friends with each other, those kind of things that we're trying to help. And then, obviously, in the places in our workplaces and in our communities and things where we come across people that need Jesus, that that, is take, that motivation is still taking us to them. That we're loving God, we're loving these other people, truly caring about people. That it's not about a church, it's not about spirituality or any of that kind of stuff in some kind of, um, you know, I'm important to, to, to the kingdom of God kind of thing. But, but that we are important to God because we love and surrender and submit to Him. So in the process of that, we're not trying to, um, we're not trying to gain certain things that I think can be uh, accomplished that subconsciously we can be actually trying to do in the church world. We're pursuing God. We're not pursuing Christianity. And that sounds like a, a strange way to say that, but we're not pursuing a, a religious context or a lifestyle. And Christianity oftentimes can be included in a mentality of a lifestyle that, that, that people will connect with the idea of Christianity, not necessarily surrendering to Jesus Christ, but connect to the idea of Christianity because it's a good culture. It's a good, um, it's a good mindset. There's a lot of good stuff that can be involved with it. Church can be fun um, in some churches, <laughs> sometimes here, but not all the time here. Sometimes it's not fun here, um, especially if I've had a bad week. I'm not, not letting you have a good weekend. So um, <clears throat> we're not pursuing Christianity. Another thing that we're not pursuing is we're not pursuing church stuff. We're not pursuing the things of church. You know, this, uh, this by the way, I'm not being critical of this. I just think... Sometimes this is a mindset we don't realize it actually is a, it overrides what can be truth. Uh, some of the, the uh, Christian radio stations I've heard over the years, and the one that's local here, uh, has a very similar advertisement that people will, and I know what they're trying to do, they're trying to, to get people to connect to it that maybe don't think about Christianity or know who Jesus is or whatever, which is good. But they'll say, well, I listen to this Christian radio station because it makes me feel good. You know, it may, it's got a positive message and these kind of things which are not bad. I don't, I'm not trying to pick on it. But I think that, the often, that sometimes that's what happens within Christianity is that's why we do Christianity, because it makes me feel good. You know, it's got a positive message. You know, we, we seem to have a, a good time, and people seem to love each other. And those are all good things. Those, none of those are bad things, except at the end of the day, that's not really the, that's not it. That's not the point. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus as being my Savior. He died for me, so so I can be right with God, so I don't go to hell, so they can have a relationship, I'm covered with the blood, forgiven, washed clean. I mean, there's, it's, it's not just I go to church because it makes me feel good. I like the worship because it's got a beat you can bounce to. It's not that kind of thing. It's, there's more to it than that. So, um, And then the last one, I think, is we're not pr- pursuing a moral lifestyle, which, which is okay within itself. Again, a moral lifestyle is obviously not bad. But at the end of the day, that's not what we're pursuing. And in fact, I grew up in churches. I grew up in Pentecostal churches, and I've even seen this in, in uh, different um, stronger evangelical kind of legalistic kind of groups that we pursue morality for morality's sake. We pursue holiness for holiness' sake. And that really is, you should not be pursuing morality. 
you should be pursuing God, and morality is the, is the outcome of that. It's the result of pursuing God. It's the same concept. This may be a bad example, but it works. It'll, you'll all get it. I've never met somebody that says, you know what? I really, really want to be fat. But I do know people that pursue ice cream. Right? I do know people that pursue cake. That's, that's the point. Is we, We're not pursuing the result. We're pursuing God. The result is not fat. It's holiness. <laughs> it's morality. We're pursuing God. So that's the, the mentality that we kind of got to get a hold of. So now, in this understanding of pursuing God... Um, there is a, there's an important thing that is, it's a relational context. It's a relationship. It's not Christianity in, in the kind of the, the definition of the word. It's relationship that causes me to be a Christian. Christ, Christian is Christ-like. I'm not pursuing Christ-like as some thing. I'm pursuing Jesus, and I become Christ-like. Okay. Now, with that, let's go to Exodus chapter 33 and we're going to let Moses uh, show us some things. And there's, there's a couple of things as we read down through this that really do escape us when we read these, these kind of um, uh, passages. We read the story, and sometimes we get caught up in the story that we miss actually what is being theologically told us about God, about ourselves, and some of this in the process. So verse 12 of Exodus 33, One day Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. I've often wondered about that. Why does Moses feel like he has to have somebody go with him? Is it the responsibility? To me, I don't like to go to you know, the store by myself. I want to get my wife or one of my kids to go with me. I don't like to go by myself. I like to be by myself, but if I want to go do that kind of thing, I don't want to be by myself. I don't think that's it. I mean, maybe there's some of this. I'm not, I don't think there is, but I think the biggest thing is there's a responsibility factor. There's an unknown. I'm, I'm responsible for this whole thing. I need somebody to help me know for sure what God is saying and those kind of things. But he says, who's going to go with me? And you've told me that I know you by name and I look favorably upon you. Now look at this. This, is, this. this verse is kind of a hinge for all of this. If it is true that you look favorably upon me, let me know your ways. That's the first part of this. Let me know your ways. Let me know you, your heartbeat, your will. This is one thing as a pastor I get probably more questions about than almost anything else is how do I know God's will? How do I know God's voice? How do I know God's will? That's kind of the same subject. How do I know God's will? Like, like I'm going to know that answer, right? I even get the question, how do I know to, to find God's will? And I can tell you that, but it's never the answer people want. How do you find God's will? Bible tells us this. In Romans chapter 12, he says, become a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And then you will know God's perfect and pleasing will. The first part of that is don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. Then you will know his will. We try to search for God's will as this, um, this, this thing, this writing in the sky. This, and really what he's saying is if you will pursue the Lord every single day, you will know his will. You will find his will. When you become not about just pursuing whatever you want there, but you become a living sacrifice. It's not about the world. I'm not conforming to the world. I'm, 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 I'm submitting myself to you, Lord. I'm trying to follow you. Then you will know his perfect and pleasing will. 
And we usually pursue the will thing kind of as its own entity, as its own separate category in our life. I'm going to find God's will. Are you pursuing God? Well, I will once I find his will. It weren't that way. You pursue God and you will find his will. Even if you're not actively pursuing it, by the way. I know this from my own experience over, over years and years of this is oftentimes if I'm just pursuing God, I'm going to stumble into his will sometimes. Even if I don't know it, want it, desire, whatever, all of a sudden I'm doing and I'm realizing, oh, wait, this is what God was leading me to. I didn't know it. I just was trying to pursue God. He says, so the first thing is that I want to know your ways. If you're favorable, I want to know your ways. So my, I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. Or the way that, that we would use the terminology today is your blessings. That I want you, God, to do things in my life. Your favor, your, um, your um, supernatural ability in my life, your, your healing, your provision, all these different things. So, so he says, God, if you, are, if you look on me favorably, I want to know your will. I want to know your ways. I want to understand you better. And then I want your favor, your blessings, your hand upon my life. That's what I desire. And remember that this nation is your very own people. Moses got to throw that in there because he wants, you know, it's about the Israelites. It's not really about me, God. It's about the Israelites. Remember, they're your people. That's why you're going to take care of me. Now, I believe there's a little bit there. I think Moses is being a little bit selfish, but I do believe he cares about the people. I think there's a balance there. I don't, I don't think he's just using it as an excuse, but I do think he does bring that in. And I, I could show you that in a lot of places where Moses brings them in at the end. He's like, God, do this, take care of this. Oh, because you love your people right? The reason is because I've said that before many times. So now this is what the Lord responds. This is how he responds. This is what the Lord replies to him, says to him. Guys, this is important. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you. He doesn't address his will, his favor, knowing him better. He doesn't address any of that. He doesn't even answer that question because for God, that's a non-question. For God, that really is not, you don't have to ask all that stuff. God, take care of me. God, provide. God, do all this kind of stuff. God says, this is what I will do for you. I'm going to go with you. If we can get that, he takes care of all the other stuff. He doesn't have to. You don't even have to ask for those other things. If you have God going with you, or really, the right way to say it is, you go with God. Because even as he's saying this here, he's saying, I will go with you, but where is he going to go with them? Where he told them to go. See, this is another thing that we do, is we like to say, in, in, in kind of our me-focused Christianity of America, we like to really say, okay, God, I want you to take care of me. I want you to provide. I want you to cover. I want you to bless. I want you to do all this kind of stuff. And God says, okay, then I'm going to go with you. All right, but God, you're going to go where I want to go. We're going to go the life I want to go. We're going to go the path I desire. We're going to pursue what I want to pursue. And then we just expect God to bless it. The example I always use that, that it, it, it irritates me is when I, I see this on bumper stickers every now and then, <clears throat> where it says, God is my co-pilot. That's because you're trying to fly the plane the direction that you want to go and your destination, and you just want God to be the co-pilot. And that's why your plane crashes, because he does not want to be your co-pilot. He is the pilot he says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. In other words, this footprint is already there. Your responsibility is to step into the footprint. 
not make a footprint. You step into the footprint that already exists. He is ordering your steps if you will follow him. Moses says, I want your will, I want your favor on this time. God says, okay, I'm going to go with you. All the other stuff will be provided. How do we know that? It says the same thing in Matthew. If you will pursue God and his kingdom first, he will take care of all of your needs, your clothing, your, your uh, substance. He'll take care of all of that stuff. He specifically says that. And what, Now, here's, let's be fair to us, um, graceful to all of us. Why does the Lord take time here to say it? Why does he take time many places throughout Scripture? Second Chronicles, if my people will, will humble themselves, seek me, pray, and turn from wickedness, then, and he will heal, heal their land, take care of them, all this other kind of stuff. This is all through Scripture. And then he says it again in Matthew, that if you'll just seek me, I'll take care of all the other stuff. Why does he do that? Because we struggle with it. That's why it says it so many places in Scripture. Now, part of the reason I say that is I'm, I'm trying to give us a little bit of a break here. We're human beings. This is a big struggle for us. We want God to do the stuff, but we want him to do the stuff in our paradigm. We want him to do the stuff in our um, idea, in our plan. Instead of saying, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? How do you want me to do it? And then God says, I'm going to go with you, and I will take care of everything. This happens um, in my family. I see this dynamic regularly, is my oldest son used to be the worst about this, and my daughter does this some now. My, my, my middle um, son, Isaac, doesn't do this so much. But I'll be sitting up here at the church, and around lunchtime, my daughter will show up. Just coincidentally, it's always around lunchtime. And she'll come, hey, Dad, how you doing? You look good today, Dad. You're looking thin. You've been working out. And then somewhere in the next few minutes... She'll say something about, hey, have you eaten yet? You want to go get some lunch? Because why? Now, I'm going to gripe and moan and complain constant all the way to the restaurant. I'll be sitting at a restaurant. I'm going to be griping. My, my wife's there, my daughter, my, my, my boys, whatever. I'm going to be griping. They got jobs. I can pay for their own. Why do I have to pay for their dinner? They're gonna... But when the check comes, guess what? I'm going to pay for it. And they're not here this morning. They, there's a going away for a person that was very, very important to them in our last church, and so they went there. And, but uh, I'll tell you, you don't have to tell them. I really enjoy paying for their meal. I love it. I like taking care of them. I like, I like doing that. It's fun for me. It's enjoyable. Now, I'm going to gripe and complain to them constantly. And why? Because even though I'm drawing a parallel between me and God here, I'm not God. And, and I, have the, I can do that. I can complain. So I still buy the meal, and my kids know that. My kids don't have to say, Dad, will you buy me lunch today? They just know if I'm with them, I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to take care of everything that they need. And actually, nowadays, it's not so much need. They're all adults. They don't need. It's more want. But I like doing that stuff. I like doing want I, I just enjoy, and this is the reality, is if we can just get God 
I mean, if we can just follow God, just get into his presence and follow him, and he goes with us, it's amazing what he will do and take care of and provide and all this stuff. It's who he is. He enjoys it. It's his nature. It's his heart and his passion for us. But when we're struggling to make sure that we get our way done and our will done and our life and our plans and all that kind of stuff, and then ask God to just bless that, that irritates God. Just like... It irritates me. Because here's the other side for my daughter. My daughter has a very limited palate. She basically only eats chicken strips. She is going to be 20 years old this month, and she eats chicken strips. That's it. In fact, the other day, this this proves my point. We were in the store, and she saw these uh, dino bites. They're chicken-shaped like dinosaurs. She's like, oh, Dad, we hadn't had those in forever. Let's get those. I'm like, they're horrible. I don't even think they're chicken. They're chicken lips and toenails and stuff. They're not real chicken. She's like, no, let's get them. Let's get them. I was like, all right, we got dino bites. She takes some, puts them down, and she's like taking the bite of the second one. I looked at her, and she's like, because she couldn't admit. And so I just stood there, watched her eat some of them. Finally, she's like, I can't do it. They're horrible. It's like, Exactly. So here's what happens. We go to eat. She says, I want to go eat, Dad. Okay, so we go to, hey, let's go to this place. No, I don't like that place. She wants to go one of two places, Chick-fil-A, Cadoba. She likes Red Robin, too. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's it. Well, here's the thing. I got a plan sometimes, too. I, I love going to Biagi's right across the road here. They have a, a um, lobster corn chowder. That is awesome. And I love soup and salad. I know my wife says I eat more like a woman than she does, but I do, I love soup and salad. So I'll say that to my daughter. I was going, oh, Dad, do I have to go? I paid for it! That's what we do to God. God, I, wanna, I want you to take care of everything. I want you to provide. I want you to, okay, let's go over here. Now, do we have to do that? Do we have to go there? I don't know. I feel like I'm having an attitude a little bit more than I should right now. (laughs) Now, here's where he goes with this. I got off on a trailer. So here's where he goes with this. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Wouldn't you like the Lord also not just to go with you, but to give you rest? That doesn't always mean so you take a nap. That means rest in your spirit, rest in your mind. Don't you need those days? Don't you need those times? Lord, I want you to go with me, and I want you to give me rest in the process. Hey, guys, I'm doing something up there. So, (laughs) then Moses said, now here's this, this is important. Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Now, I think that should be our mindset all the time. I think Moses has hit on something that's huge. It should be our mindset all the time, but here's something that's important. You will come to times in your life being a human being on this planet, it is inevitable. You will come to certain places and times in your life season, maybe only a handful your entire life, where literally you are so completely to the end of your ability, emotionally, spiritually, physically, or whatever, that you would say to God, not then out of just um, relationship and passion, but out of just broken necessity, that you say, Lord, I don't want to do this without you. I can't do this without you. 
I don't have the ability to do this without you. I've been there a few times in my life where you say, God, I, I've tried everything. I've given it everything I have, and I don't have the emotional energy. I don't have the spiritual energy. I don't have the physical energy, mental energy. I can't, I can't take another step. And then you, you fall into the arms of the Lord, and you say, Lord, please carry me. And many times in Scripture, he tells us he will do that. He will carry us. Now, here's what I would like to push into our world a little bit right now, is let's not wait until those moments to say that. Let's say it this morning. Just to come to God and say, God, if you don't go with me, I don't want to take one step. I don't want to leave this spot. If you're not going to walk with me, if you're not going to be the guide, the pilot, the director of my life, if you're not going to be that, I don't want to, I don't want to take one step. I don't want to leave this place. The way that I, I say this at different times, and I say this in my own personal prayer life, and I've said it to all of us, is this is, this is what it sounds like, is, Lord, I do, I'm not going to stop praying until I know that I'm walking with you. I'm not going to... I'm not going to leave this place. Like, like uh, Jacob said, I'm not, I'm not letting go of you. I'm not leaving this place until you bless me. And then what did God do? Dislocated his hip. I often wonder if God's like, boom. Deal with that. <laughs> Blessed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, there's some good spiritual things to that. We'll talk about that sometime, but I just think that's a funny thing. God bless me. All right. So the rest of his life, he walks with a limp. But guess what? Every step he takes is a reminder of when he wrestled, a physical human being wrestled with the Spirit of God in a physical way. Not many people can say that. The rest of his life, he walked with a limp because of that. That's huge. All right. That's not in my notes anywhere, too. That was... It's just for you. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably upon you, and I know you by name. You know, that sentence there resonates again in the New Testament. See, God is constantly telling us through the Old Testament that he has a plan for us. He knows us. But Jeremiah chapter 1, before we were born, while we were still in the womb, God knew us and had a plan for us. He says that over and over through Scripture, that he has a plan for us. He knows us. That he knows your name. He knows everything about you. In the New Testament, after the cross, where it becomes much more personal and not quite as a uh, group thing, as a corporate as the Old Testament, it's now individualistic, way individualistic. And, and um, God then says, not only does he know your name, but he knows every hair on your head, and he has numbered every single one of them. For some of you, it's like three. But some of you, it's thousands. For God, for some of you, God's like, one. Okay, I numbered it there, you know. But here's the reality of this. God knows you personally. He has a plan for you personally, and he wants to walk with you through that. And then all the other stuff he takes care of. And we spend all of our time and energy praying for the other stuff. God, take care of this, finances and relationship and all this other stuff. And, and if we can just get the point where God says, I want to walk with you. If I will be with you personally, I got the stuff. Just let me get with you. Just let, me, just let me carry your life. Let me be in charge. And then we don't have to start, keep worrying about all the stuff. And then we don't have to keep praying for all the stuff. Because we're walking with him. That 
closeness, that personalness that he, that he has there. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Another way to say that is my glory. Another place that this is mentioned in Scripture, very similar to what we're about to read here, is in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees the heavens open and he sees the glory or the goodness of the Lord. He doesn't see God himself. God's too, too holy, he's too big for us to, to see him as physical human beings. We are so limited by this sinful shell of a body that we look upon God in all of his holiness and I think it would fry us. The Bible says we would die. So he says, I'm going to let you see the, the glory or the afterglow or the, the um, you know, like, a, like the plane's flying. You see the smoke afterwards. It's that kind of thing. And he says, I'm going to let you see that. And so he says here, I will, let, I will let you see my goodness and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. God will call out his name, Yahweh. Now, this is an interesting Jewish thing. In Hebrew Bible, this will not have the word Yahweh. It will have Y-H-W-H. It will, it will take the vowels out because that's the Jewish way of saying we, we respect God enough that we won't say his name. And in fact, in kind of more modernized Messianic Jewish mentalities, you'll see the word God, G-O-D, you'll see capital G dash D. That's the same concept of the Hebrew way of saying we're not even going to say God's name. It's so amazing. It's so big that we don't even deserve the right to hear it. We definitely don't deserve the right to say it. God himself says, and I'll say my name for you. It's Yahweh. And I'll declare it as I pass by. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose and compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one can see me and live. He's just too big, too amazing. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Now, this is something I think is pretty cool here that's going on. But, but I, I, I want to throw this out here because I think sometimes... As human beings, we can get a little bit arrogant, a little bit self-assuming with some of this kind of stuff. Do you realize that God does not have to do this right here? He doesn't have to show Moses anything. He could say, Moses, I'm God. And Moses should say, thank you, God, for just telling me that. When, God, when Moses says early before he's going to take the Israelites out, and he says, who are you? And he says, I am. This is this, is this same uh, storyline here. He says, tell them I am. Right? God doesn't have to do that. Have you ever thought about that? God did not have to tell us he's there. God didn't have to give us the Bible. He gives us a, a, a book written by lots of people over thousands of years that declares who he is page after page after page. Tells us how much he loves us, how much he wants to forgive us and walk with us and all these different things. And he talks about this. He did not have to give us the Bible. He chose to give us the Bible. He didn't have to tell us he was there. He, and, it, and by the way, that wouldn't be wrong to do that. He could have just said after Adam and Eve, you know what, you guys are done. Um, I'm not going to destroy you all, but I'm going to let you live on this earth, but I'm not going to tell you I'm there. You're not going to have any knowledge of this. There's, there's going to be no evidence of me whatsoever except what you can pick up on spiritually, intuitively, your eyes, or whatever. I'm not even going to tell you I'm there. And God, being the holy, righteous God that he is, still would have the right at the end of all of this to have us stand before the judgment and judge us accordingly. 
Now, in our American thinking today where everybody gets a trophy and everybody, nobody, there's no losers and all this kind of stuff, that we don't think, well, that's not right. But God's a holy, just God, and he would be perfectly justified by doing that. He doesn't. He gives us his word. He tells us that he's there. Not only that, but he writes us into the plan. He writes us in as co-creators with him. We get to do stuff. We get to be a part of the mix. We get to pray, and God does things. We're part of that. Have you ever even thought about conception? The idea of conception is a co-creating thing. A man and a woman cannot make a baby without God. But he lets us be involved. And then in the middle of the story, he writes Jesus right in the middle of this story and tells us that that's the plan for us. And he writes Jesus in, his son. But not only does he write Jesus in, and even though you understand Jesus is the son that that, uh, God sent to the earth, Jesus is still part of the Godhead. He had to agree to this. You understand the, the theological balance there. They didn't make Jesus come to earth. And then Jesus, not only does he write himself into the story, but he writes himself into the story as being brutally murdered by the people that he's trying to rescue. He didn't have to do any of that. He didn't have to tell us he was even there. And then on top of that, he sends the Holy Spirit to infill and live within us, this limited, sinful, goofy human that we are, and the Holy Spirit literally designed us to live within us. He didn't have to do any of that. He didn't have to let Moses see his glory here, but he loves us, and he knows us by name, and he wants to go with us. He wants us to be connected. Put two things down here. The first thing, the Lord gives himself to us. Isaiah 43. Now, Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I ransomed you. I called you by name. You are mine. That ransom part, we're doing a study on Wednesday nights right now, Nehemiah, looking at the story of Nehemiah, but Nehemiah is the Holy Spirit and the broken walls is us. And how does that parallel throughout the book? It's amazing study. It's really fun. The last verse of verse 2 says that Nehemiah tells the bad guys that come up and try to destroy the work. He says, you have no legal right here. You have no authority here. And I believe that's what we're supposed to think, understand, and say to Satan when he tries to mess with us. I've been ransomed by Jesus. His blood covers me. I belong to Jesus. I belong to you. You've got no authority here. Temptation, sin, depression, discouragement, all that junk, the lies that Satan tries to tell you. You have no authority here. I belong to Jesus. He's in charge of me. He bought me. You bought nothing, Satan. Jesus bought me with his blood. I belong to him. You have no authority. I've been ransomed. When you go through deep waters, the Lord says, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you won't drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, that statement there is more about um, mental, spiritual, emotional. That is not about physical, fire-burning, physical human. Okay? If you, if you, if you study this in the, in the Hebrew, this is about mental, emotional stuff going on. The fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And he quotes a scripture. And then he adds to it. He says, I want to show mercy. Not, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. So I go to Hosea chapter 6, where the original verse is that Jesus is quoting and it says, I want you 
to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. More than I want the church stuff, I want you to know me. And he says, then he adds to the end of it, for I came to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Guys, one of the worst places to actually get God to do something in your life is you've been a Christian for a long time, you've been doing the same things over and over. And you don't think that you're a sinner anymore. You think you're good. You're not sick anymore. I'm good. I'm, kinda, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. It is easier. I, I know this from experience. It is easier to tell a drug addict about Jesus and let them do something, let Jesus do something big in their life than it is to tell a Christian that, they, that, that thinks they're okay about who Jesus is. Because we've already convinced ourselves, I need, I've got everything I need. And Jesus says, I, you think you're well, but I came, I came for sinners. Which, by the way, we are all sinners and always will be. The difference is, is we've been forgiven and covered with the blood of Jesus. But we're still sinners. We're just saved by grace. And he says, when you keep that in your mind, when you understand that, I can do stuff. When you no longer believe that, I can't do anything with you anymore. You don't need me. You might as well die on a cross. You can save others. Right? That's good. I'm just going to jump down to Ephesians chapter 4. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. The last part of the Leviticus scripture says, Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. See, the first part is, the Lord's given Himself to us. The second part is, let's give ourselves back to Him. Let's give ourselves to him. I'm going to pursue him. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> you're, still going to, you're still going to struggle with conviction and, and sin issues your entire lifetime. But when you fall in love with the Lord and it becomes a relationship with the Lord, it's not near as much about the sin side and what you're doing um, as in I need to be forgiven because I've done something horrible. It's more about... Lord, I, I really want to be close to you, and I don't want to lose that. So forgive me. Why? Because I want to be close to you. If I, have my, if I ask my wife to forgive me of something, it's not because I'm worried about going to hell. It's because I, I have a relationship with her. I don't want her to be upset. Even though she's probably wrong, I don't want her to be upset. So that's where we say, okay, God, I, I, want, to, I want to walk in you because you're, you've called me to you for a relationship. Let's pray. Lord, we, we submit ourselves to you. We humble ourselves to you. So Jesus, you're God and we are not. God, you are perfect and we are not. And Lord, the only way we can be holy is because you covered us with your blood. The only way we can be righteous and, and, and walking with God is because your blood has made it so. God, forgive us and wash us. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. I humble me before you right now that you're the God, the king of everything. You're the one and only true God. So, Lord, we need you. We need the relationship. We need the connection. God, I know that you're going to take care of all the different needs, all the stuff that's going on in this building. I know you'll take care of them. God, your priority is that we walk with you. Our priority seems to be the problems. 
Lord, help our priority become your priority, where we want to walk with you, be close to you. Cover us with your blood right now, Jesus. Forgive us. Wash us clean. Every person in this room, wash us clean. As we submit and surrender ourselves to you, just wash us, cover us with your blood. Cover us with your blood. For some of you, this may be the first time you've ever prayed this or thought through this. Lord, cover me with your blood. I want to be right. I want to be right with God. I want this closeness. I want this relationship. Forgive me. For some of you may have prayed this many times, but the Holy Spirit's convicting you right now that you put yourself in the category of you're good, you don't need him. God, I pray against any kind of any kind of religiosity that can rise up in our spirit. Any kind of false confidence that everything's good no matter what. That we've we've matured and graduated too too far along. Lord, I don't want to ever lose sight of the fact that you came to heal the sick and I'm sick and I need you. In Jesus' name. God, help us to see that. Help us to go there. And Lord, I pray for this week as we're coming up that, that, that every day this week that you bring us back to relationship. Bring us back to relationship. 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 Christianity isn't about a list of things it's relationship Jesus help us to walk in you the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus name we pray Amen so before noon tomorrow God's going to give you the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus take it at work, grocery store school, tell somebody about Jesus, tell them how much he loves them God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand, hug their neck, tell them how glad that you got to see them this morning. We will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.